Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. We're in the final uh, segment. This is the final installment of our Hot Pursuit series, talking about the continual pursuit of more. There is a phrase that gets used. Uh, you see this, you hear people say this from time to time. You might see this on a beer bill, <laughs> a, a billboard. Um, the phrase is, Live your best life. Have you ever heard that? <clears throat> They're living their best life. You, you see that different places. And um, sometimes you see it on social media, usually with some you know, babe who's kicked back on the beach and you see her tan legs and her little painted toes and you see the, the ocean out there and maybe there's a little umbrella drink to the side and then she hashtags, living my best life, right? And really what she's saying, she doesn't say it like this, I'm living my best life, you probably aren't right now, but I'm living my best life, and it sucks being you wherever you are, but we're, you know, I'm at the beach. Um, so I don't know if you know this or not, but there's a company that you can, for $49.95, you can send your picture of you or whoever you want, your family, you can send this picture to this company, and they will superimpose your picture onto some exotic location. Did you know that that's a thing? That's a real thing. And I'm on this website this week looking at this place that does this for $49.95, and I'm like, nobody really does this. Come to find out, 10% of Americans have sent their picture to companies like this and had somebody superimpose their picture onto some exotic location to make it look like they went to that place and vacationed there. And it, it kind of looks real, and, you know, they post that on social media, and they're trying to fool everybody. So that got me to thinking. Dee Dee and I could do that, you know. I, I read about all these, these highfalutin, powerful preachers that travel the world and share the gospel, and they take pictures of themselves, selfies in all these great locations. Well, I can't, I don't do all that stuff, but I got to thinking, you know, what if Dee Dee and I did that? What if we, what if we acted like we went to the Serengeti plane, you know, and, or, or Niagara Falls, you know, we went to some great location like Niagara Falls, or romantic, we went to, we went to Paris, right, with the Eiffel Tower, or maybe some exotic place like the pyramids, and, and looks, looks, this looks like he's this world traveler, and of course, you got to go to the beach, there I am in my sweater on the beach. <laughs> That's great. But then we could one-upski everybody and we could take a picture of us on the moon. Yeah, top that, you scoundrels. I'll show you. How crazy is it that people actually pay money and they send it off and somebody superimposes them and to, all in an effort to make it look like something that's not really true? We said last week that anything you pursue more than Christ is an idol. That it's, it's idolatry to pursue anything more than you're pursuing Jesus. Today I want to talk about the pursuit that many of, a great many of us are guilty of. And I'm, again, I'm not here to make you feel guilty. I'm not here to make you leave and go, oh, I'm just, I'm a horrible Christian. That's not the goal, okay? I want to encourage you. But sometimes i got to tell you the truth. And the truth is, I think that this is a problem for all of us. And the problem is a great many of us are, are into this endless pursuit of comfort. We like things to be comfortable. Today we're going to take a look at a text out of 1 John. Now, here's what I can tell you about John. John 
was in the inner circle of Jesus. He, w- he had an up-close-and-personal uh, view of everything that Jesus did. He's refer- he refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. How's that for a title? The one whom Jesus loved. Yeah, don't know about you, but I'm the one Jesus loved, right? He was there when, when Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. He was there at the foot of the cross with Mary as Jesus is, is giving up his spirit. He's, he was there in the upper room when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper and washed the disciples' feet. He was there for all those moments. He was there when Jesus ascended into heaven. He got to see some of the great moments of the life of Jesus. And just after the resurrection was a time where there was some pretty dangerous behavior happening among the Christians, um, these brand new Christians that, you know, it's just getting off the ground. They don't really know what they're doing. And there was some sketchy theology taking place. And so John begins to speak into some of that sketchy theology and try and correct some things. And he says this, he says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the father is not in them to which we go what if anyone loves the world love for the father is not in them what does that mean the literal greek word there that is used it means exactly what you think it means it means the world but i don't think we're stepping out of the context and i don't think we're doing something i don't think we're going too far if we if we expand that a little bit to mean the cultural system of our world okay and so for our purposes this morning that's kind of what i'm talking about what is that? Well, if you, if you look around, <clears throat> you will see that there is this gravitational pull to build a life where we have more than enough, where we can do what we want to do, with whom we want to do it, when we want to do it, how we want to do it. And some of that I'm kind of on board with from a political perspective. I believe in freedom and, and think, you know, we should have those freedoms. But when it comes to Jesus and some of the things that he says, you know, hey, that's not good for you, or that's, you know, I would have you do this instead of that, sometimes we kind of buck against that. And, and we, we don't want our life to, to run up against any distraction that includes pain or struggle. We don't want that. And so the cultural system in which we live is leading us to build a life more and more where God is unnecessary because we've got it all covered. We've got everything taken care of. There's no need to worry. I've got, you know, pain is not going to touch us. Struggle is not going to touch us. And John's saying, listen, when you find yourself pursuing that, the love of the Father is not going to be in you. Let's think about this for a second. All of us, when when you think about your desired life, that thing that you haven't, attained i'm pretty sure that this could be said about all of us it's likely when you think about your life and how you want your life to go it's pretty likely that that does not include struggle it it does not include pain you do not look out into the future of your life and think well i'd like some pain to be in there you know could we mix a little struggle into that because i don't you know i don't want to go through my whole future and not have some no i think i think if we could draw it up and if we could you know, say, this is how I want my life to go, and someone said, hey, do you want me to mix a little pain in there with that? No, don't put any pain in there. Um, We drift toward lazy, and we drift toward inactivity. 
Um, let me illustrate what I'm talking about. Um, Dee Dee likes to remind me. Dee Dee, are you in here? Do you see Dee Dee? I need to know if she's in here because I need to know what I can say and what I can't say. You'll tell her anyway, and I'm going to get in trouble. I'm going to get in trouble for this illustration. I can just tell you I am. Just try. I'm probably already in trouble for the pictures. It's a, she didn't know I was doing that. Dee Dee likes to remind me that before we got married, I said to her, babe, when we're married and you're living under my roof, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix your coffee in the morning. Because, you know, I wanted, to impre- I wanted her to know how much I loved her and I was just going to be this wonderful husband and I want to do all these great things. How many times do you think I've fixed coffee for Dee Dee? Zero! I don't drink coffee. I don't like coffee. I don't know anything about coffee. Um, I wish I did because it's, it's a, you know, like a social thing and I could connect better if I did. But I, I've tried. I just, you know, once in a while, Dee Dee will take a drink of her coffee. She'll say, Brett, this is so good. Taste this. And because I love her, I will. And I'm like, golly, that is nasty. It's just nasty. I just know that her coffee is brown, which means there's a lot of cream involved with Dee Dee's coffee. <clears throat> but I said, I'll make you coffee. I, I, I don't make her coffee. Oh, it gets better. I also said, you know, babe, <clears throat> just when we get married, you're not going to fill your car with gas. I'll do that for you. I'll take care of that. Now, I meant well. We drift to lazy. We drift to inactivity, and it just became easier. I, you know, I did a couple of times, filled her car with gas, but it just got to be easier to let her do that on the way home from work, right? She's going to stop somewhere anyway. Just she's, she'll, she'll do it, and she doesn't complain. It's not like, you know, she... But I told her I would, and then we got married, and you know how that goes. It just hadn't happened. It gets better. Babe, I'm, I'm going to scrape your windshield for you when it's cold. And here's what you got to understand. She gets up about an hour and a half before me, okay, to go to her job. And my commute's pretty small, as you probably are well aware. She's got to leave a lot earlier. And my bed is so warm. And I'm so comfortable. And sleep is so hard to find sometimes. So when you finally get it, the last thing you want to do is get up, put on clothes, and go scrape a car when she's going to put her clothes on anyway I've scraped her car a few times but not like I thought I would and I you know you say all that stuff because you 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 just want to convey oh I'm just going to take such good and then we drift to lazy now if you think (laughs) if you think I'm going to stand up here and throw myself under the bus and let you ladies get off scot-free Oh, no, no, no. Because, ladies, wasn't there a day before you got married when you're dating and you're trying to impress? Wasn't there a day when you shaved your legs every day? Every day. Right? You know I'm right. And then you got married. And you decided, well, I don't need to do that every day. I might only do that when I'm expecting company, right? You don't do that every day. I'm, gonna, I'm in such trouble now. I should just resign right now. But. And you worked out at Zumba. 
or you did Billy Blades, or you did yoga, or you did something, because you want to be cute, I want to be cute, and you got your hair cut and done, and your nails, and some of you still do that, and I think that's wonderful, that's, a, that's kind of a lady thing, and I understand that, that's, that's a cultural, that's just what you gals do, and I think it's great. Dee Dee goes and gets her nails done, and it makes her feel pretty, I get that. Um, and you probably still do that as you, even after you get married, but, but you, you know, you maybe don't work out quite as much, because you, you, we drift to what's easier, we drift to to being a little bit lazy. You know, when, when you were dating, <laughs> you would go out to dinner. Ladies, tell me you didn't do this. You're starving. You know he's going to order a steak, and you're thinking to yourself, I want a steak so bad. But the, wait, the, the waiter looks at you and says, and what would you like, ma'am? And you say, I, I'll have a side salad and a water with lemon. Right? You know I'm right. And then when he dropped you off after the date, he kisses you goodbye and you go into your house, you, you're in the refrigerator just because you're hungry. But you were trying to put your best foot forward and you were trying to impress. And now when you go out to eat, you're having the steak when you're married, right? Like, forget the salad, give me the steak. And here's what I've learned. Ladies have stay-at-home yoga pants and then they have going out yoga pants, right? You have your dressy yoga pants. And it strikes me that I've said yoga pants more in the last two seconds in this, in this sermon than I ever have in 20 years of preaching. So <laughs> for what that's worth, we drift toward lazy. We drift toward that which is comfortable. We just get to a place where, you know, our intentions are good. We, we think we're going to do it a certain way, but then life starts hitting us and you, and you start looking for the path of least resistance and and we just kind of drift in that direction. And here's what I'd tell you. If your life is pursuing this thing called comfort, I'm telling you that you're never going to fully catch that. You're just not ever going to fully catch that. It is a counterfeit. What are the dangers of pursuing a counterfeit comfort? What, what is a counterfeit? Let's start with that. A counterfeit is a copy, as you know, it's a copy of something, but the counterfeit, while the original has great value, the counterfeit has no value. And it, it looks like the real thing, but it's not the real thing. Uh, the first danger in pursuing a counterfeit comfort is this, the pursuit reveals a spiritual emptiness in us. I'm chasing something out there, and if I'm chasing something out there, is it possible that there's a void in here? Is it possible that something's not right in here? That's what John's saying. He's saying, listen, I'm not telling you that you can't love your house. I'm not telling you you can't like it and be proud of it. And, but, and I'm not telling you that, you know, you've got this vacation coming up. You're looking forward to it. The kids are going to have a great time. John's not saying, hey, you can't be looking forward to your vacation or you don't love God. That's not what he's saying. He says that if we're pursuing this cultural system that this world offers so that you would have all your bases covered and you would not really need God, you don't need him to show up. You've got it covered all on your own. Then the love of the Father may not be in you. Think about the love of the Father for a minute and his attitude toward the poor, the broken, the the, the outcast. Look at the life of Jesus and the way Jesus hung out with people who, who were far from God and, and didn't feel like they could go to synagogue, didn't feel like any, any kind of religion would be something that would welcome them. And Jesus hung out 
with those kinds of people, what would your life look like if it was propelled by the things that propelled the life of Christ? Just what would it look like? That's just a a question as you leave today. I want that to be one of the things that you're thinking about this week. What would my life look like if it was propelled by the things that propelled Jesus? Because that'll change your life. You know that there is a disconnect between your heart and the heart of the Father when the things that break the heart of the Father do not break your heart. That's when you know something's wrong. That's when you know there's an issue. That's when you know some attention needs to be given. Pursuing a counterfeit culture reveals a spiritual emptiness. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 5, for Christ's love compels us. This isn't some outward chase. This comes from the inside. It's a push from the inside. Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Second danger in this empty pursuit is that it eliminates our need for faith. To put it another way, it eliminates our need for God. If you've got a life where everything is covered and God's not really necessary, that's a problem. The hardest person for me to reach for Christ, the hardest person for you to witness to as a believer, the hardest person to get to listen to the message of the gospel is the man who has a great job, beautiful house, beautiful wife, 2.5 kids, a picket fence, two great cars, and vacations in wonderful spots. Because in his mind, he is convinced he doesn't need God. He did all that on his own. Now, we know that's not true. We know that God has blessed him. We know that God has given him an intellect and God has given him uh, stamina and strength to be able to go and earn that wage. But in his mind, he thinks he did that all by himself. He doesn't think he needs God. And it's really easy for us to, even though we know that's not something we should be thinking, it's easy for us to kind of fall into a mindset kind of like that. Now, not to that extreme, but kind of like that. Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, the author is giving somewhat of a storyboard of the Old Testament. He's kind of revisiting some of these old stories. And he he comes to the story of Abraham and he says, Abraham left the home of his ancestors and he started out for this new land that God was calling him to, even though God hadn't revealed to him where he was going to go. Listen, that's hard. He, He talks about Noah. Noah was called to build the ark and to call people to come with him on the ark, even though um, you know, he's warning them about a flood, and they have no idea what a flood is. They, have, they, don't even, they, can't, they can't wrap their head around the idea of a flood. And all these people thought Noah was crazy. That's difficult. That's not, it's, it's hard to do something like It's hard sometimes when God calls you to certain things. Moses. He, he talks about Moses and how Moses is called to, Go to the most powerful man in the world and say, let my people go. That's hard. These kinds of stories reflect the idea that I'm living my life with such such an audacious burden that if God doesn't show up, it's hopeless. I'm lost if God doesn't show up. It's over for me. I will look like a fool. And then the author of Hebrews goes on to say this, and without faith, 
it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Let me ask you, what are you pursuing? What dream are you dreaming? What thing do you pray for and you pour your heart out for it all the time and if God doesn't show up in that thing, you're toast. Do you have something like that? You should have something like that. I have, uh, I've shared this with you before. I have a card that I have taped on my credenza in my office. I was reading a book one time and I came across this quote by David Brainerd, who was a missionary to the Native American Indians up in the Northeast. And this little note, that's my hand, chicken scratch, I know you can't read that. It says, Lord, help me to make a difference today that is utterly disproportionate to who I am. And I read that and I thought, you know, I want, that's a prayer I want to pray on my life. And so once in a while, I will just, you know, and when I'm praying, that's one of the things I'll say to God is, God, I, I, want, I want my life to make a difference that is, utter, you know, when, I, when my life's over, I will have just been just some small guy at a little church in Terre Haute, Indiana, and I will have worked hard, and I will have tried to be faithful, and I will have, you know, tried to be good to the people, and the people certainly have been good to me, and I'll be able to look back, and it'll be a, you know, a joyous thing. But God, I want to do something that outlives me. I want to do something that, that, that makes a difference for you that is utterly disproportionate to this small person that I am. I don't have a lot of intellect. I don't have a lot of talents. There's not a lot of things that I can't do. But God, would you, would you do something with my life that is utterly disproportionate to who I am? And that's a prayer that I've been praying for a long time. I want to introduce you to a guy named Justin Wren. He is a heavyweight MMA fighter. He is a Christ follower. Aren't you glad that dude right there loves Jesus? I'm glad he loves Jesus. A few years back, Justin became aware that slavery is an issue in the world. And I can't remember where I saw the statistic. It might be in, I'm going to show you something a little later. It might be in that. I can't remember but the statistic is that 27 million people in the world live under some form of slavery. Think about that. Slavery is as much a problem today as it has ever been in the world. There are more people enslaved today than have ever been enslaved in the world. Justin, like you and I, he's going about his life. He doesn't realize that that's a thing. You probably didn't wake up this morning thinking about people who are enslaved. You probably didn't think about that. But when it became an issue and it was introduced to Justin, he said, wait a minute, I, you know, I, I, I can't handle that. And he found out about this pygmy tribe in Africa that had owned this land, and another group of people came in, took their land from them, enslaved them, and forced them to work for them now, and they pay them next to nothing. And now they're slaves in horrendous conditions. They're hungry, they're poor, they're beaten. And Justin asked a question that is a pretty normal question. Well, God, what can one guy do? I mean, really, what can one guy do against that? He, I don't know that he had ever been to Africa before. Justin asked that question, and this is the first response he got. He said, well, why don't we give them clean water? Why don't we drill wells for them? 
So that's what they did. Then he asked, well, what if these pygmies were allowed to, if, if they had land of their own that they could live on, then they wouldn't be slaves and there would be no one there to oppress them. So to this day, fight for the forgotten, which is the, the foundation that Justin started, Fight for the Forgotten has purchased somewhere in the neighborhood of 3,000 acres to give back to these pygmy tribes so that they can have some land that they can call theirs and they will not be oppressed any longer. And now they're landowners. And nobody beats them and nobody withholds food and nobody's hateful to them. That's what it looks like to have a dream where you are so desperate for God to show up in the middle of it. The pygmy tribe has given Justin a new name. It's, it's Ephaosa. Ephaosa. Ephaosa means the man who loves us. And so whenever they see Justin, Ephaosa, the man who loves us. Are you dreaming big enough dreams? Are you praying about things, thinking about things, working toward things that burden the heart of God? You cannot pursue comfort and walk by faith at the same time. Those two things just don't go together. A life of faith involves discomfort. A life of faith involves looking out, not looking in. The culture we live in seduces us into thinking about us and what our comfort is. And don't, we don't want anything. We don't want struggle. We want streamlined. We don't, we don't want to catch any wind. It's possible that if this message hits its target that you would begin to think, you know, I think my life is headed down a superficial path. And if that's true, I would say that you're in good company. I think for most of us, it's just something that we slip into. We slip into this superficial path. Here's what I can tell you. Everything seems to be pointing in that direction for our society and our culture. It's just like, you know, get as comfortable as you can get. And don't really look to the left or right because you're going to, don't do that. Just keep looking ahead, look toward comfort. So, if that's the counterfeit, then what is the authentic? I'm told, I was talking to some people about this in between services. I'm told that there's a certain way that they train agents to identify counterfeit money. Because you would think that the way they teach them about counterfeit money is that they get a bunch of counterfeit money and they bring this agent in, they set him at a desk, they give him all this counterfeit money and he studies all the different types of counterfeits. That's not how it works. They bring him a crisp $100 bill and they hand it to him and he studies that $100 bill, handles it, smells it, feels it, knows all about, the, the you know, it's, it's, it's linen, it's not paper, it's got squiggly lines, it's got... You know, there's things that you can recognize, and you look for those pieces of authentication, and that's how you know you've got an authentic hundred or five or twenty or fifty dollar bill. So that when when a when a counterfeit hits your hand, you could probably even with your eyes closed, you know, feel it a little bit and smell it and say, you know what, that's that's not the real thing. So, with the time we have left, and and this will go fairly quick, I want to focus our microscope on the real thing. What is the authentic paradigm for real comfort? Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. He is the sole embodiment of what we have been pursuing. 
why is, why is he the God of all comfort? Because it goes on, he comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, now let me just stop right there and say this, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is supposed to be a part of your story. Just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ. And you go, Brett, whoa, nobody told me that when I got baptized. Sharing the sufferings of Christ? Yeah. That's supposed to be part of your story as a believer. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. How are we doing? This is the authentic article right here. Instead of chasing whatever it is that we've been chasing, maybe we should consider embracing something else. What are we to embrace? I would offer two things, and then we'll close. Number one, embrace divine discomfort. Welcome struggle into your life. You say, whoa, Brett, wait, wait, wait. Say that again? Yeah, I'm saying welcome pain into your life. Here's the truth. Pain produces in us the things that we really want, and comfort will eventually kill us from the inside out. You know this. You know that if you work out, that's uncomfortable, that, that's pain involved, that's not fun, there's nothing good about it, but here's what you also know. You know that the more you work out, the healthier you get. The, the better your body is able to fight off disease, the better your body feels, the, the more in shape you are, the stronger you get. You also know that if you sit on your couch all day and eat cinnamon rolls all day and you don't move, that's going to kill you from the inside out. Jesus said it like this, or I'm sorry, James said it like this, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Consider it joy when you face trials. Because you know that the testing, that's a big word, we're going to come back to that. The testing of your faith produces perseverance. You might also use the word endurance there. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Now, none of us likes to take tests. I was a horrible student. I, I was sat with my mom and my sister last week, and we went through a bunch of old pictures, and one of the things that my mom saved were my report cards. Why would any mother do that? And, I, you know, I've always said I wasn't a good student. I wasn't. I wasn't a great. I didn't like school. My mom even looked at me. She said, Brett, you did not like school. I remember. I didn't like it. And my report cards would prove that to you. They were awful. Nobody likes to take tests. So God's going to test us? Is this pass-fail? I mean, I hope God grades on a curve, right? I mean, please help me. It's not that kind of test. The Greek word that he used there for testing is the word dokimian. Dokimian, it's a Greek word. And, and it carries with it this idea of a silversmith and the way a silversmith purifies silver. I don't know if you know this process or not, but what happens is they take the ore, they put it in this pot, they build a fire under it, they start firing up this fire. They build, they get it hotter and hotter and hotter. Eventually the silver begins, the ore begins to melt and the impurities in that ore start to surface to the top. They take an instrument and they draw off those impurities what they refer to as dross. And they pull that off. And then they let the silver cool 
And then they build a fire under it again, and they bring it up to heat, and they pull off more dross. And they go through this process again and again and again. And some of you right now are going through real testing in your life. It's uncomfortable. It hurts. There's pain. You don't like it. You're crying out. Or maybe you just come out of a season where that's been the case for you. Here's what I want you to understand. Is it possible that the pain you are so desperately trying to avoid is the very heat that God is using to bless your life in order to scrape away some of the impurities that you have in your life? So that the selfishness and the pride and the arrogance, the narcissism, the things that destroy our life can be removed and we can become better, more useful people for Christ. Could it be that God is applying heat to your life in order to remove those impurities that are becoming an obstacle to you looking more and more like Jesus? Let me put it another way. Could it be that the heat you feel is the very answer to some of the prayers that some of you have prayed for God to teach you, to show you, to reveal a better way to you. God, make me more like Jesus. If you've ever prayed a prayer like that, then you can expect pain and struggle to be a part of that experience because God is going to use that to take unnecessary things out of your world, to make you more like him. He's trying to answer your prayer. I'm told. That when a silversmith does this and he does it well, there comes a point when he can look down into the silver and see a reflection of himself. And the question begs to be asked, is God refining you to the point that when he looks down into your life, what he sees staring back at him is himself? We are called to be conformed to the image of of Christ. Embrace the discomfort. Is it possible that whatever you're going through right now, the divorce, the, 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 the financial struggle, the trouble with your kids, some, some health scare or issue, relational strife in one way or another, is it possible that whatever it is is a chance for God to show up in the middle of it and show you what he can do? Embrace the discomfort. Let the pain do something great in you. I say this often. I've said this many times. I know you, if you've been going to church here a long time, you've heard this before, but it really is the truth, and it's just me trying to share from my own experience. I have learned more in life. The life lessons I carry with me, the things that have really stuck with me and changed me as a human being, did not happen when I had a smile on my face. They happened in the middle of pain and struggle. They happened in the middle of things. If you had said, Brett, do you want to go through that? No. I don't want to go through that. But that's where God showed me stuff. That's where God taught me. That's where God made me more like him. If I'm like him at all, it's happened because he took me through some things that were difficult. That's going to be true in your world too. God has more for us than some shallow pursuit of comfort. Secondly, as we live in a culture that is obsessed with living our best life, we have to embrace that this is not our best life. This is not it. Paul said this in Romans. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. There is a best life, but it certainly is not this life. Scripture says that God has 
set eternity in the hearts of men. Do you know what that means? That means that, that your heart longs, knows that perfection is real. It knows that there's a place called heaven and it wants to be there. Your soul, your heart knows that that exists and longs for it. Every time you demand justice, that's what your heart is saying. I know justice is real. I know the right thing is perfect is there. I want to get to that. It's heaven. It's not here. You were created for that longing inside you. And what happens in our world is we chase around after all these other things, looking for something to throw in that hole that it won't fill. It's just an empty pursuit. And here's the problem. If you're trying to fill an eternal longing with a temporary thing, your life is going to feel empty. It's like eating Cheetos. It's just, you know, you, you, I give you, you ever seen the big ball, the big, you go to Sam's and you get the big Cheeto, big puff ball thing, you ever seen that? It comes in a barrel. We're going to set you on the couch and give you one of those and just let you eat it. Hey, that'd be awesome, but here's the thing. You could eat those until you're full and half hour later you're hungry again, right? It does not fill you. And you start looking around, what's next? What's next? On to the next thing. On to the next thing. If you think about it, that's how we live our life. We do this. This was fun. That was fun. Let's, what's the next thing? On to the next thing. Well, here's some struggle. Oh, I don't want any struggle. Here's some pain. Oh, I don't want any pain. What's the next thing? That's how we view it. You're longing for things in the world that will not satisfy. So what do you do? You let go of your ambition, and you dream the dreams of God. And you allow your heart to break with the things that break the heart of God. Embrace discomfort in your life. It shouldn't all be perfect all the time. God never promised that. It's not even good for us. Embrace the pain. Embrace the struggle. Embrace discomfort in your life. Second thing you need to remember is, this is not your best life. Not here, not now. It comes. The reward will be great. Not yet. We have work to do. I don't want you leaving here today feeling guilty. I want you leaving here today asking yourself the question, God, what could I do? What are you calling me to do that might be uncomfortable, that might be something that I'm going to push against, but if I'm really going to be a Jesus follower and I'm going to have things break my heart that break the heart of Jesus, what is that? I just want you praying that prayer. I don't know what it is for you. The Lord will reveal it, and when he does, I pray that you will have the courage to step into it. Listen, you if you're bored in your faith, here's what's going on. You have not done anything that requires God to show up in the middle of it. Trust me, when you're doing things that it requires that God show up or you're cooked, that's when it gets exhilarating and that's when it gets exciting. This is not your best life. It'll come eventually, but not yet. We're going to close when I pray. just want to remind you that people will be up front to pray with you. And as you go out this week, I just want you thinking about, God, what are you calling me to? What breaks your heart? And would it break mine? Let's pray together. Father.
would you put a pebble in our shoe this week? Something to get our attention, something to show us what you have for us. And God, we are so oriented to comfort. Help us to get past that. Help us to understand that that's just a part of this, that Christ suffered, Christ went through things. If we're followers of his, we're certainly going to have that same thing happen to us. Help us to embrace it, to see what you're teaching us. So, so God, when, when, the, when the discomfort starts, help us to know that you're there. That's a sign that you're there. You're right in the middle of it. What would it be for each one of us? I pray, Lord, that you would be speaking to us this week. God, bless these people as they go here and there. Help them to be your light in this world. Help them to reach out to their friends for Easter next week. Give us a great day next week, Father. We, we just want to lift you up and praise you and celebrate together. And now I ask your richest blessing on each one as they go. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Embrace.